0: Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20. For those of you who are students of the Bible and have been studying God's Word for quite a while, you'll find this passage extremely familiar. For those of you who are new to the faith and new in your understanding of who God is, I pray that this fresh glimpse of God's Word will help you understand another function of the church, the body of Christ, and what it is we are supposed to commit ourselves to in our everyday lives. Matthew chapter 28 and verse 18, Jesus came and spoke to them saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Of course, Matthew pins here a final word. It's the Word. Amen. Amen. We're in our fourth week in our sermon series here on Sunday mornings entitled, Core Convictions. We've kind of broke down over the last several weeks what our statement of faith is, what our mission is, and now what our understanding of core convictions are. In summary, again, core convictions are how our theology as a church... And our motives as a church express themselves practically. So we take our statement of faith, our theology, we we take our motives, our our mission to glorify God and exalt His gospel. And now through these core convictions, we see how practically the church is to live itself out in our everyday lives. We've looked at three core convictions thus far. We've looked at number one, meaningful membership. We've looked at secondly, the core conviction of gathering together. And then last Sunday, we looked at a third core conviction the conviction of expository preaching. The fourth core conviction that we want to examine this morning is that of disciple making. Disciple making. So what are the core convictions of Laurel Baptist Church? Well, let me just say we're not even halfway through these yet. But so far as we look at them week to week, the core convictions of our church is meaningful membership. We, we join ourselves together to commit our discipleship to the shepherding and the fellowship and the ministry of the church. Uh, it is a gathering together. We meet together on a regular basis. It's, it's, it's the core conviction of expository preaching. We preach the Bible book by book, chapter by chapter, verse by verse. And now we see the core conviction of disciple-making, disciple-making. Now, again, with each one of these over the last several weeks, I've given you a subtitle. And, and here is the subtitle of disciple-making, what we understand it to to be. It's for you there on the screen for you to see. Uh, We declare that his disciple-making is this. We declare that the gospel should be preached in all the world to every creature, baptizing those who follow Jesus as Lord and Savior, teaching them to grow in the full counsel of God. This is what it means to make disciples. This is why disciple-making is a core conviction of our church. What we're saying here here at Laurel is that we declare as a church body that the gospel should be preached in all the world to every creature. And we baptize those who follow Jesus as Lord and Savior, teaching them to grow in the full counsel of God. Our text here is Matthew 28, 18 through 20. It's also... Famously known as the Great Commission. It takes place after Jesus' resurrection as part of the final words that he shared with his followers just moments before he ascended into heaven. It's important that we understand here that what Jesus says in Matthew 28 is not a suggestion to be considered. It is a command to be obeyed. And it's a command not just for the leaders of the church, it is a command for every member of the church. In other words, if we are truly people who are all about Jesus, and we say we are people who are all about Jesus, then we must be people who are all about making disciples, making disciples. This is what Jesus says here in Matthew 28 and verse 19. Go and make disciples. Go and make disciples. Well, if we're going to make disciples, we need to know what a disciple is. What is a disciple? Let me give you just a, just a clear understanding of what a disciple is. Jesus says, go and make a disciple. Go and make more disciples. Here's what a disciple is. A disciple is or a Christian disciple rather. Is a follower of Jesus Christ. That's what a disciple is. A Christian disciple is a follower of Jesus Christ. It is one who is identified with Jesus. It is one who worships Jesus. And it is one who walks with Jesus. That's what a disciple is. A follower of Jesus Christ. One who has identified with Jesus one who worships Jesus, one who walks with Jesus. That's why we have gathered together in this place today because the vast majority of us are disciples of Christ. We have identified with Christ, we worship Christ, and we are walking with Christ. But here's what Jesus said. Jesus said in Matthew 28, I want you who are disciples of Christ to go out and make more disciples of Christ. I want you to make more followers of me. Now, I think it's important that we understand something before we go any further into this because some of you come from church backgrounds where it seems to be that salvation and discipleship has been presented as if it is two entirely separate things. Listen to me very carefully this morning. Salvation and discipleship are not two separate categories. Discipleship is not a higher tier of Christianity. That's somehow how it is presented. That there are those who are Christians and then there are those who are disciples. And the one who are disciples are those who said, I'm going to take my Christianity and I'm going to go higher as if it's a superior side of following Jesus. Well, that's not biblical at all. Every Christian is a disciple because every disciple is a follower of Christ. There are no Christians who are not disciples. So whether you started following Jesus four weeks ago or whether you have been following him for 40 years, every Christian is a disciple. And we're all being disciples. I became a disciple of Christ at the age of five. And here I am 35 years later. It feels kind of weird to be the same age as the old people. Here I am 35 years later still being discipled, still being discipled. We never stop being discipled. Now, granted, we have programs and we have classes and we we say things like, I came through discipleship. We never stop being disciple. We never stop being disciple. Every Christian is a disciple and we are all being discipled. It's, It's fascinating to me that nearly 300 times we find the word disciple in the Bible. 300 times. But we only find the word Christian three times. And when you study the New Testament, what you begin to discover is that it was the disciples of Jesus, the followers of Jesus, who later became known as Christians, not the other way around. It wasn't Christians becoming known as disciples. It was disciples becoming known as Christians. So we've got to get this right. Christians don't become disciples. Christians are disciples. They are disciples. And again, Matthew 28, he says that disciples of Christ are to be making more disciples of Christ. More disciples of Christ. Why? Why should we be committed to disciple making? Well, the answer to that is simply love and obedience. We should be making more followers of Christ because of love and obedience. What what I mean by that is, first of all, a a love for God. A love for God. By the way, any love for God begins because of His love for us. You didn't start loving God and then He started loving you in return. That's not how it works. He loved you, therefore you love God. Him, we love God. And so any love that we have for God is because He graciously bestowed His love upon us. And so all that we do ought to be motivated out of God's love for us and our love for Him. And in the arena of making disciples, we discover very quickly through the Lord's teachings that our love for Him is often expressed in our love for others. Listen to what Jesus said in Mark chapter 12. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. This is the first and most important commandment. Love God, heart, soul, mind, and strength. And as we love God, he goes on to say that the second most important command in all the Bible is this. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. So why should we go out and make more disciples? Because we love God. And if we love God the way we ought to love God, we will love others. But a love for God also translates into obedience to God. So we go out and make more disciples because we love God. And because we love God, we want to please God. We want to obey the Lord, And Jesus said in John chapter 14, "If you love me, keep my commandments. If you love me, keep my commandments." So why, again, why should we make more followers? Why should we make more disciples of Christ? Because we love God and we want to obey God. Now I'm going to speak real plain for just a moment. I've never not really spoken plain. You don't have to raise your hand, but but do you feel like life's a little busy for you right now? Oh, man. It's busy. It's busy. It's busy for a lot of us. We're so busy. We are so preoccupied with everything we've got going on in our life that if we don't get serious about our part in making disciples, we're going to come to the end of our busy life. So tired, so exhausted from doing a whole lot of things over a long period of time. But yet realizing that we didn't do the thing that Jesus said we must do. Make disciples. Make disciples. He said we must do that. You see, everything in the arena of your life right now is a platform for spreading the gospel. Everything. All right? Your career right now is a platform for spreading the gospel. There's a reason why God gave you this skill set. There's a reason why you are employed where you are. There's a reason why you are sitting beside that person that you sit beside every day at work. Because your career, God has designed you for this moment, this place, that arena as a platform to declare his gospel. Listen, I'm going to tell you something. Again, look, some people think that they could do more for the gospel if they left a secular vocation and stepped into my world, ministry vocation. I want to tell you something. As far as I know... All of my employees are Christians, (laughs) as far as I know. I have to work really, really hard to get out and to preach the gospel and to build relationships and to do my best to use whatever platforms God gives me to declare the gospel. But guess what? God has made a platform for you. It's where you work. It's the environment that you walk in every day of your life. So let's step back for a moment instead of always begrudging that and say, Lord, this is where you've put me. You've put me here for this moment of my life. And I know it's not just about my skills. It's not just about my desires. It's not just a way to make money. No, you have put me here as a platform for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Our careers are our platform. Our children are a platform for the gospel. Listen, if you have kids, you don't have to go out and find disciples. Listen, the first day that my kids came in the world, I knew there were a bunch of heathen sinners who needed God Amen. because they take after me. Sometimes we, we pawn our kids' discipleship off on somebody else. Well, the preacher would get to them or the student pastor would get to them. and one, Hey, and we're all here to partner with you. But the greatest platform that you have in the life of your children is your own life, your own ministry to them. The time that you sing to them the Bible and read to them the Bible and live in front of them the Bible. Your children right now may be getting on your everlasting nerves. School's starting. Ball's starting. Hair is starting to come out. But that is your platform for the gospel. Don't be so focused on the world that you forget those God put right in front of you. Your community is a platform for the gospel. You know why I love volunteering in our community? Because every week of my life, I get to have gospel conversations with people who are not Christians. Every week. Every week. I had one of the coaches that I super, super, supervise over in Harrisburg called me just a couple weeks ago. He said, hey, Jonathan, are you still a pastor? He had a few colorful words in between that, by the way. Yeah, man, I'm still a pastor. Good. You're the only religious man I know. I got a couple questions. Thank God for that. I love hanging out with my kids. I love donning that Yankees hat when we go on the baseball diamond on Saturday, and I love whooping every team that walks in front of us. But that's not why we're there. We're there as a platform for the gospel. Everything in your life right now is a platform for the gospel, even your cancer, or might I say here, your trial. It's a platform for the gospel. And so we need to understand this. God wants me to go and make disciples, and we don't need to be so busy doing everything else that we forget to do the thing that he's asked us to do. Let's, let's look at several things here from this text. Number one, I want you to notice, first of all, our conviction for disciple making. Where does this conviction come from? Our conviction for disciple making. You see, everything about this command here in Matthew 28 to make disciples, it is founded upon this opening statement that Jesus makes in verse 18. Look at it there. It says, and Jesus came and spoke to them saying, All authority. All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. That's Jesus' opening statement. All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. All authority. Not some authority. All authority. All authority belongs to Jesus. Can I remind us, church family, that he is the sovereign Lord of heaven and earth. Nothing happens outside of his decreed will. He has all power, and He is in control of all things. There is no aspect of heaven or earth, Jesus says here. No aspect of heaven or earth where the authority of Christ is not present and involved. Consider it. There is no aspect of heaven or earth where the authority of Christ is not present and involved. And as mentioned here, this includes his authority over salvation. This is why we pray, asking God to save people. Why do we pray and ask God to save people? Because we know it is God who is the author and finisher of salvation. We know that it is God who is the one initiating and completing the work. We know that it is God who awakens the soul to new life. We know it is God who draws sinners to Himself. And by the way, this is the only way that people can be saved. That if God does the saving... He has all authority over salvation. So we pray and we ask him to save us. And when he saves us, we thank who? We thank him for saving us because all control, all authority, all power in the work of the gospel belongs to Jesus Christ. And the good news this morning is God is sovereignly at work. He is sovereignly at work around the clock preparing the hearts of sinners to hear his gospel call. Satan doesn't have this authority over the souls of men. And neither do you or I. That authority belongs to Christ and Christ alone. So it is God who saves sinners. It is God who brings lost people to the saving knowledge of his gospel. And it is in recognition of this. Recognition of His sovereign authority and power over the work of salvation that we can go confidently spreading the gospel and making disciples because we know that it is not dependent upon us and our skills and our abilities. It is all dependent upon the almighty power and sovereign authority of God. I cannot emphasize this is enough. It is not we who save sinners. It is He who saves sinners. But He uses us. He involves us in the process. Not because of any special ability on our part, but because He graciously wants us to have a front row seat to His work. So we read this assignment. And instead of running from it, we take on the assignment to go and make disciples because of our conviction. And our conviction is verse 18. Disciples are made as a result of His power and authority, not because of any skill that we possess. You say, Pastor, I'm not very skilled at talking to people about the gospel. That's okay. It doesn't rely on your skill. It's all about His power and authority. J.I. Packer wrote in his book, Evangelism and the Sovereignty of God. It's one of the most helpful books on evangelism I've ever read. Perhaps we'll give it out on one of our Wednesday night uh, uh, readings. He said, were it not for God's sovereignty, evangelism would be the most futile and useless enterprise that the world has ever seen. It is the sovereign authority of God that creates the certainty in our hearts that evangelism will be fruitful. Because it doesn't rely on us. It is dependent on Him. This is our conviction. So we go, we go, we go and do this because we know He is at work before we ever get there. He's planting seeds before we ever meet them. He's watering the soil before we ever open the Word and share our testimony of our own conversion. God is doing this way before we ever... Would you like to come to church with me? He is. The master evangelist. This is our conviction. All right? Number two, we see our commitment to disciple making. Our commitment to disciple making. That's in verses 19 through 20. And so what he says here in verse 19 is that I want you to go. I want you to go therefore. Now, you understand that every time we see a therefore, we need to look and see what it's there for. And it's therefore because of verse 18. He's saying, because of my sovereign authority, I want you to go and make disciples of all nations. I want you to baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. So this work of disciple-making, it cannot be carried out without action and intentionality. He doesn't say, sit and make disciples. He says, go and make disciples. Move. Get after it. Don't just sit there and do nothing. I want you to go. Here's what Jesus is doing by this statement. He is honking, if you will, the proverbial spiritual horn. When we're sitting there at a green light, not moving, Jesus is saying, go. Go, get after it, move. In fact, if my wife ever follows you to church on Sunday morning, I, I do apologize. She, she's, she's a little horn happy. <laughs> she likes to blow that horn. By the way, I asked her, I told her this fits right in with my sermon, can I share it? She said, absolutely. I think she said Yes. <laughs> Just a few weeks ago, she was on her way to church. Now, I've heard two sides of this story. I have heard that the person sitting at the light in their truck, I heard that the light turned green right as my wife was pulling up. My wife said the light had been green for what felt like 10 minutes. So she pulls up, the car's not moving, and she decides to blow the horn out here on Plaza Road Extension and Rocky River Road, which, by the way, the new Chick-fil-A is coming to before we know it. She starts blowing the horn, and as he's turning, she gets a little bit closer to him, and she reads that there's a bumper sticker on the car that says, with God, all things are possible, and all of a sudden, she starts wondering, well, I, I, I hope this guy didn't go to our church. She gets a little feisty on the road, I'm telling you. So halfway down Plaza Road Extension, right before they were to pass Holcomb Woods, she's sweating a little bit. Everybody's getting nervous. The kids in the back seat are saying, we know who that is. That's Camillo (laughs) Aviles." And another kid said, yeah, that looks like Miss Deb in the front seat with him. (laughs) Kathleen's like, no, it's not. Sure enough. He takes a right turn into the parking lot of Laurel Baptist Church. Now, I'm taking my wife's side on this one, Camillo. Even though he said the light had just turned green. But sometimes we all get in that position, right? Whether We're either the one blowing the horn or the horn's being blown at us. And this is what God is saying here. Why are you sitting here? Go! Move. Get going. The light is green. Go and make disciples. So everywhere we go, we are to go with a commitment to make disciples. Everywhere we go. That's, 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 that's the essence of the command. It's like, as you go, make disciples. As you go to the store, make disciples. As you go to church, make disciples. As you take them to school, make disciples. As you get on the airplane, make disciples. As you go, make sure you're making disciples And so this commitment involves three essential things. One, number one, and you write these down if you like. First of all, we preach the gospel to anyone who will hear. We preach the gospel to anyone who will hear. We declare again in our statement that the gospel should be preached in all the world to every creature. Verse 19, go and make disciples of all nations. Mark's gospel recorded it like this. Go into all the world and preach the gospel to everyone. Every creature. And right there in Mark's gospel, just a few verses later, in verse 15 of Mark 16, it says that they went out and they indeed preached everywhere. So so if we are going to be committed to making disciples, we must take on our responsibility to preach the gospel to anyone who will hear us. Let's, Let's say a word about our subject for a moment. Our subject is the gospel the gospel our subject is not psychology our subject's not sports our subject's not politics our subject is the gospel this is what the world needs to hear they need to hear the gospel again what is the gospel the gospel is the good news that jesus christ came from heaven lived a sinless, perfect life, died on a cross in my place to pardon sin. He was raised from the dead to provide salvation so that those who trust in him alone may experience divine grace and reconciliation with God forever. That is the gospel. He died, he was buried, he rose again. And without that, no one can be saved. No one can be saved. Buddha cannot save, Muhammad cannot save, going to church cannot save. Only Jesus, His death, His burial, His resurrection, that is the only way that we can be saved. (coughs) Another way of looking at it would be like this. We we, we have God's design as we we study the Scriptures. God's God's design for this world and for you and I in creation is perfection. Perfection. He created Adam and Eve perfectly, the garden perfectly, the world perfectly. Everything was perfect, but not too far in Genesis, we understand that God's design was quickly invaded by man's rebellion. We call that the fall. When Adam and Eve disobeyed God, sin not only came into their life, it also came into all the world. Therefore, the scripture tells us everyone who is ever born is born sinners separated from God. And guess what sin did? Sin broke everything. It broke everything. It broke our lives, it broke our homes. And so now we have all this turmoil, we have all these wars, we have addictions, we, we have every wrong, every broken thing you can ever think of, that is the result of sin. But thanks be to God, He provided salvation and redemption. He did not leave us in our broken state. He sent the only answer, the only solution to our brokenness, not us turning over a new leaf, not us cleaning up and trying to do better. No, He sent us the perfect Son of God, the Lord Jesus Christ. And he did what only salvation could do. He died in our place. He became our substitute. And through his shed blood and resurrection from the dead, anyone who trusts in him can be saved. That's why the Bible invites us to repent of our sins and to believe the gospel. That is, agree with God about your sin, about your brokenness, about your separation from Him. And then by faith confess Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And salvation and redemption will come, but that's not the end of the process. We have God's design, we have the fall, we have salvation. But then we have what we call restoration. Restoration. This is God's design recovered in Christ. That through Christ, God is making everything perfect again. And that will come to complete consummation when Jesus Christ returns back to this earth to establish his kingdom once and for all. And so what do we do as his disciples? We pursue this restoration. (laughs) We look forward until the day when Christ comes and makes everything new again. This is the gospel. And whoever believes his gospel, the Bible says, look right here, whoever believes it, whoever believes it will be saved. Will be saved. And so we preach this gospel to anyone who will hear us. We go to all nations. Think about this. All nations. That is, the gospel of Christ does not discriminate. In fact, Revelation tells us that by heaven's representation alone, that no people group will be left untouched by the gospel. Have you ever thought about that? Listen to Revelation chapter 17. It says, A great multitude which no one could number, of all nations, all tribes, all people, all tongues. Listen, every group in the world will be touched by the gospel in some way. That's why we go. Now, not everyone will hear. Not everyone will receive. Not everyone will be saved. But there's someone in your life right now who will hear. There's someone in your life who may receive. And if they do, that someone will be saved. You see, evangelism is sharing the gospel with the aim to persuade With the aim to persuade. And how do we do this? I just wrote down some practical things here. Maybe this is all new to you. How how do how do I start? Just let me list them. Number one open your life. Open your life to others. Your life. Show Christ's love to them. Engage with their life. Have a meal together. Go get coffee. Just make yourself available to those who need the gospel. Open your life. Also, open your home. Open your home. Be hospitable. Make yourself available. Show them a Christ-like environment. It's amazing how many gospel conversations can take place over a steak and baked potato. Open your heart. Open your heart. Some of you are so closed off to your story. You need to ask God to help you get through that. Because people need to hear your story. Oh, some of the most helpful moments in my life is when I've had conversations with people who've opened their heart and I began to realize they're just like me. I thought I was all alone. I thought I was the only one with that problem. I didn't know there was other people just like me. Open your heart. Share your story. Share your testimony. Hey, open your Bible. Open your Bible. Go read Scripture together. Share with them the Gospels and then... Frankly, open your mouth. Open your mouth. You can do all these good deeds. You can cut their grass. You can fix them dinner. You can take them out to coffee. But if you don't open your mouth and invite them to church and invite them to Christ, if you don't say, hey, follow Jesus, then they're not going to come to faith in Christ. At some point, we we have to open our mouth. This is evangelism. It's sharing the gospel with the aim to persuade people to follow Christ. So we preach the gospel to anyone who will hear us. And I must hurry. Number two, we baptize those who follow Jesus as Lord and Savior. Verse 19 tells us to baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. What is baptism? Water baptism signifies our adoption into Christ, our cleansing from sin, and our commitment to follow Christ and belong to His church. This is what it means to make disciples. To, to preach the gospel and to baptize those who follow him. You see, baptism is the way the disciples of Christ show that they have believed the gospel. Baptism is not the way that we believe it. It's the way that we show we have believed it. It's an outward symbol of an inward decision, as we often like to say. It's like a wedding ring. A wedding ring doesn't make you married any more than you stop being married if you decide to take it off. I can't even wear mine right now. It's something about some swelling all over my body as a result of too much candy. I don't quite understand it. But I'm not married because I don't have it. It's it's, it's a symbol. It's a symbol of the commitment that we're making. And so it is when we get baptized. We baptize people as our wedding ring. We're, We're wearing it to let people know who we identify with. And baptism acknowledges faith in the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. That's why as Baptist people we baptize by immersion. It's not just about putting someone's head into the water and that constitutes traditional baptism. No, it's because that symbol that Jesus gave us as an example represents what he did for us. What we are actually identifying in when we follow him in baptism. When we're standing in the water, that represents the death of Christ. When we go under the water, that represents the burial of Christ. When we come out of the water, that represents the resurrection of Christ. So our baptism, the reason why Jesus wants us to do this is because our baptism represents the fact that we have died with Christ. We have been buried with Christ and we have risen again with Christ. He has brought us new life in cleansing our sin and reconciling us with him. It's a spiritual fruit of genuine repentance. What do I mean by that? That means how do you know someone's really been saved when they start obeying Christ? And Jesus said, I want you to be baptized. Those who follow Christ as Lord and Savior, baptize them. Not just those who pray a little prayer. Not just those who want to join the church. Not just those who have some kind of mystical experience. No, those people who say, I will follow Jesus as my Lord and my Savior. You baptize them. And upon their baptism, it will let the world know that they belong to me. And then thirdly, not only are we preaching the gospel to everyone and baptizing those who follow Christ, but we are thirdly teaching every disciple to obey or to love and obey the word of God. That is, we're teaching them to grow in the full counsel of God. You see, being a disciple is not praying a prayer, getting dunked in water, and then going about our own way. That's not following Jesus. Discipleship is the lifelong learning of God's word. We've often said, how do, we, how do we know a, prefer- a person's profession of faith and baptism was real? Well, they will continue in the teaching of God's Word. Amen. The Bible's very clear about that. And so that's why He tells us in verse 20 teach them or keep on teaching them to observe all things that I've commanded you. All things. All things that I've commanded you. What are the things that He's commanded us? That's His Word. That's His Word. Disciples of Christ are to immerse themselves into all that Christ has taught us. Matthew and Samuel, Habakkuk and Revelation, Genesis and Nehemiah. We need to get all of God's Word. And that's how we disciple people. We disciple people by faithfully teaching and preaching the full counsel of God. Sometimes I'm asked by other ministers, Hey, Jonathan, tell me about your discipleship program. Well... We disciple every Sunday morning and Wednesday night in our worship services as we preach the Bible book by book, chapter by chapter, verse by verse. The teaching and preaching of the Bible, it's the it's the primary means of discipleship that fuels every other discipleship relationship in the church. We, we disciple through fellowship groups, and we disciple through our kids' ministries. We disciple as we meet together over coffee and read the Bible together and, and pray together. I mean, everything that we do is centered around discipleship, and that's why it's so important that we understand that as churches, we don't need a discipleship program as much as we need a discipleship culture. A culture where all the time we are talking and teaching and encouraging and building one uh, another in the Word. You say, how can you do that on the softball field? Well, I promise you, I promise you that when the other teams run in their mouth, we will do some quick discipling in our own hearts (laughs) about being patient and not letting our anger get the best of us. And if we lose, we will understand Jesus wept. We will, we will come all the whole process. You see, the point is it's a culture, not a program. It's a culture. It's a culture. But as already alluded to, learning about the Bible is not full discipleship. It's not just learning about the Bible. And I'm wrapping up. Listen, disciples live the Bible. Jesus said, teach them to obey what I've commanded you. To obey. It doesn't say just give them a whole lot of information. No, tell them how they can obey me. So, when you think about it, discipleship is really not all that difficult. Discipleship is about disciples of Christ coming together and keeping each other focused on and accountable to the obedience of Christ. So, that's our commitment. We preach the gospel to anyone who will hear. We baptize those who follow Jesus as Lord and Savior. We teach every disciple to love and obey the word of God. And every disciple is to be involved in disciple making. Every disciple is to be involved in disciple making. We make disciples who make disciples who make disciples who make disciples who make disciples. How are we disciples today? Because a whole lot of time ago, Someone decided, I'm going to make a disciple, and that person made a disciple, and that person made a disciple. They followed 2 Timothy 2, 2, which says, I want you to take the things that you have learned in God's Word and go and teach others also all about it, all about it. And finally, our confidence in disciple-making. Our confidence is found in this brief little verse that many of you have taken as a life verse and the reason why you don't like to ride roller coasters and fly in planes, where Jesus said, lo, I am with you always. Lo, thank you all for waking up for that one, I appreciate it. I'll be here this afternoon too if you want to come for some more. It's a promise from Jesus, isn't it? Low, low. In other words, it's not, it's, it, it's, not so much, it's not so much that Jesus only works down low, okay? It's not what it means. He's saying, hey, pay attention to this. Know this. Don't forget it. It's very important. I am with you always. I, I'm not far away from you. No, I'm right here with you. I'm right here with you as you go. It's a promise from Jesus. And it's our confidence as disciples that that we can make disciples because he is right here with us as we go. Not most of the time. No, he says, I am always with you. Always. He's with you right now. He's with you right now. And he is always with you as you go and preach the gospel. You know, it's interesting when you consider it from the perspective of verse 18 as well as verse 20. Because it's verse 19 in which the commission is given. Preach, baptize, and teach them. But in verse 18 and verse 20, we, we have the book ends to the whole command. You see, his command for us to go and make disciples is held up by the pillars of his sovereign authority and his constant presence. You get that? That is, wherever you work tomorrow, you can go and use your work as a platform for the gospel because God is saying to you, I am holding up your ministry of the gospel by my sovereign authority and by my constant presence. You're not going alone. And you're not doing all the work. In fact, Jesus is saying, I'm doing the work. That's why Mark 16, 20 says that after they heard this, they went out and preached everywhere, the Lord working with them. The Lord working with them. And that makes us bold. That makes us patient, and that makes us prayerful. I close with this. Think of how many times he's used the word all in this message on disciple making. I don't know if you noticed it. Perhaps you'd like to mark it there in your Bible. He talks about all authority, all nations, all Scripture, all the time he is with us. There's a lot of alls here. He just wants you and I to be all in. All in. All in on making disciples. So I give you this practical thing to think about as we close. Number one, stop making excuses. Share the gospel. Make disciples. Well, I don't know what to say. It's an excuse. You've got to stop. Well, I don't have time. It's an excuse. You've got to stop. As you go, share the gospel. Stop making excuses. Here's a second practical thing I want you to think. Start somewhere. Start somewhere. Do something to make disciples. Do something. Invite them over to your house for coffee. Go out for lunch. Have a Krispy Kreme donut together. You can start somewhere and do something. Begin building that relationship where the gospel can shine forth from your life and stay focused. Stay focused. Don't get distracted. Don't lose sight of its importance. It's a calling. In fact, the Bible says it's called the Great Commission. And for us, it's a core conviction. That we declare the gospel should be preached in all the world to every creature, baptizing those who follow Jesus as Lord and Savior, teaching them to grow in the full counsel of God. You know, I can't preach on making disciples without inviting you to come and be a disciple. Maybe you're trying to figure this whole thing out, researching it reading scripture, visiting. Friends, the message that God wants you to hear this morning is this. Repent of your sins. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And come join us as imperfect disciples following a perfect Christ. Because none of us have arrived, and when we do arrive, we'll all arrive together. But what this group of people is... It's just a group of imperfect people who know that we need Jesus. And we're following him together. That's God's call to salvation in your life. Repent of your sins. Believe the gospel. And come join us as together we follow Christ. Let's stand together for prayer.